0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Iterate, he, he wasn't talking about sinless perfection there. The Bible doesn't command us to be sinless. It commands us to be perfect, but that, again, speaks of maturity, and that's what Chad was referring to there, was uh, just... Reaching the place of where God wants you to be. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter number 17 tonight. Acts chapter number 17. And I want to, I'm I'm excited to introduce this. We're actually going to be introducing the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, The book of 1 Thessalonians as well as 2 Thessalonians. I'm excited about that because so much of 1 and 2 Thessalonians is devoted and referring to the coming of the Lord. And I tell you, we need to know how to live in light of the coming of the Lord. And so there's a lot that we'll learn throughout the book of Thessalonians. Um, But in Acts chapter 17, we uh, read this, and and I I titled the message tonight, uh, Adventures in Evangelism. And you could go just about anywhere in the book of Acts and find out that evangelism is an adventure. Folks, can I tell you that evangelism is still an adventure? It's it's still an adventure to talk to people about Christ. And it's still, uh, there's still a pioneering spirit about going and sharing the gospel with people wherever you may be. Now, it may not, be, don't, may not seem on par with what the Apostle Paul was going through, but reading about what Brother Shoemaker and some of those guys are going through sounds kind of familiar. But uh, let's read verses, uh, well, I'll just start by reading Acts chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through M. Phippopolis and uh, Apolliana. they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. All right, so they came to a place called Thessalonica. Uh, just real quick, Thessalonica was founded in 315 BC by Cassander. Now, Cassander was one of Alexander the Great's generals. Cassander uh, named the city of Thessalonica after his wife Thessaloniki. Kind of a pretty name, isn't it, Thessaloniki? Uh, but that was his wife's name. So he named, he named one, one city he named after himself, another city he named uh, Thessala, Thessalonica after his wife. Uh, and this was also Alexander the Great's stepsister. But, of course, this was after the death of Alexander the Great when, the, when the, the kingdom was divided into three or the territory was divided into threes. But So, interestingly enough, as we get to the book of First and Second Thessalonians, you may not have thought about this, but like Esther and Ruth in the Old Testament, the Thessalonian epistles trace their names back to a famous woman. So, uh, technically, uh, they have a woman's name, even though, of course, by that time it was just the name of the city. Thessalonica is situated on the uh, Thermaic Gulf and is an important port city in Macedonia. The modern city of Salonica or Thessaloniki or Niki is Greece's second largest city. In the first century, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia and a thriving commercial center with a population of about 200,000. So just a little bit of background on Macedonia. Now, uh, in Acts chapter number 17, we read in Adventures of Evangelism, we read about the founding of the church here. So, it, this, this church was founded, as we're going to read in these verses, by the Apostle Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey. How many missionary journeys did Paul take in, whole, in all? Three missionary journeys. This is the second missionary journey, and... He, uh, there he's, he's there in about the spring of A.D. 50, after their imprisonment and release in Philippi. Remember that? Uh, uh, Ryan preached not long ago, about at midnight they sang. And so after they were released from Philippi, they traveled about 100 miles down to this uh, city, this key city called Thessalonica. Now uh, Luke and Timothy were left behind in Philippi to establish the church there. When the Apostle Paul, accompanied by Silas, entered Thessalonica, their ministry was probably the first ever gospel witness given in this area. And so here they come. They're leaving Philippi. And remember, it's a cool thing about the way God works. They had already been beaten, but God had let them be released. And they just go on about doing the work of God. Too often we get beat down and we want to quit. Because we think, man, alive. I've been trying to do something for God and I got beat down. And Paul and, and it's one of the reasons by the way, that Paul, I, I think I, it's just a, an amazing verse to me when it says one of the things he taught was how that through much tribulation you 'll enter the kingdom of God. He, was a, he, he just let people know it 's going to be hard. This thing isn't for the faint of, faint of heart it's difficult sometimes, And so uh, they, they went on a hundred miles, they traveled to get to Thessalonica. And they entered. So, number one, I want to notice here quickly, the meeting place. The meeting place. Look there again in verse number one. The Bible says there was a synagogue of the Jews. And look at verse two. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So, first of all, we see the meeting place. Now, it's important to ask, and I'm telling you, it's important to understand, even though it may may not sound like the most exciting thing to, to ask this question, but it's important in understanding the book of Acts and the church in general, and the Bible in general, especially the New Testament, the Old Testament as well. Why did Paul go to the synagogue? Why did he go there? That's where the Jews were. So the Jews were at the synagogue. Why did that matter? Why did it matter where the Jews were? Well, there you go. So, therefore, you got to talk to them. And the point is remember, the Jews are God's promised seed, God's promised people. These people are still worshiping, many of them in sincerity. They're still doing their best to worship God, um, I'd say, according to the Old Testament. But by this time, there had been a lot of the, the other books had been added to Jewish tradition and religion by this time. So it wasn't just them trying to keep the Old Testament. There was other things that's interesting to find out about. But the point is, is remember, the Old Testament is leading up. God's dealing with the nation of Israel. He's not forsaken the Gentiles. The nation of Israel is there to be a light to the Gentiles. They just fail ultimately to do that. So now he establishes the church. The church is a new thing that God's doing. It's it's a new covenant. So with that, uh, it's it's he's doing a service. Go to the Jews. Let the Jews know that the Messiah has come. Let them let the Jews know that they no longer need to worship uh, in the old uh, the old pattern in the old way. How that all that was just trying to lead them to Christ. And that's important because it just. Uh, it it, it highlights some of the uh, things, especially in the book of Acts, that go on and the importance between, uh, in a sense, the three different peoples in the Word of God, if you will, and that's the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. And it's important when you're reading the Bible, and especially the New Testament, to differentiate, uh, is it talking to Jews, is it talking to Gentiles, is it talking to the Church of God? Uh, and, And so it's a part of rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So it may not sound exciting to stop and say, hey, Paul went to the synagogue. Why did he go there? Um, but, uh, but he went there to go to the Jew first and to give the Jews the opportunity. He did that city after city when there was a synagogue there. But even if there wasn't, he would try to find, are there any Jews here? Uh, and he would try to find those Jews to let them know, hey, you've been looking for the Messiah, Christ. Remember Christ and Messiah? Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's Messiah. It's the one, they, the, the anointed one, the king that they were looking for. So the the, the Messiah is here. Christ is here. He has come. Uh, now, another interesting thing. Have you ever asked, you, why did the synagogue let Paul speak there? I think that's a valid question. Why would the synagogue allow Paul to come in and speak to them three Sabbath days? Yeah, he was, he was actually, if you remember... You Go over to the book of Philippians and read this. He was a rabbi. Now, he was no longer functioning as a rabbi, but he had credentials. He, he was a man who uh, was a Jewish teacher, so they allowed him to come in, and they allowed him for three Sabbath days to preach the gospel and, and so forth. And so we see the meeting place. That's just important to highlight. But I want to make sure that I get this point in tonight. Number, number one, the meeting place. Number two, the means. The means. The Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Again, the manner was, going to the Jews first. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And I'll go ahead and read verse 3 as well. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. Now remember, when it says Christ there, He's not coming in and saying, Hey folks, you've been waiting on Jesus. Jesus is here. He's literally saying Messiah. The Messiah you're coming for, Messiah must suffer. Messiah must have died. He would have gone to Isaiah 53. He would have used the examples of the Passover lamb. He would have gone right down through the line and showed them how that this promised seed, Christ, must have suffered, it says there. So he must have have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, now he gets to Jesus, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few." So we see some of the people that came to Christ. But I want to back up a second and think about the means of his success. Because he did have success, many Jews were saved, a lot of Gentiles were saved during his time there at Thessalonica. Now, the means is what we find there in verse number, the very last word of verse number 2. See it there? The last word of verse number 2, Scriptures. Scriptures. So he is preaching unto them the word of God. He reasoned from the word. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was successful because he trusted in the power of God's word. It wasn't about his eloquence. It wasn't about his knowledge, though he was, he was uh, well, he could be eloquent, but overall he wasn't the most eloquent man, but he was a very wise man, a very knowledgeable man. But it wasn't based on his knowledge. It was the Scriptures. How many of you know in this day and age that the Scriptures are taking a back seat in many churches? The scriptures, the means of the scriptures, they take a back seat. And, uh, and there's there's a reason that why churches are often set up even the way they're set up. Well, I mean, you, you can see it even, even during the days of Ezra and different times when they would find the word of God, they would bring a pulpit and they would bring an elevated situation. And, and so they could be up in and, and the pulpit, the place... Where the word of God would be preached was elevated because the scriptures is the means. That's how things are going to get done. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world, was, the world by wisdom knew not God. Which is just a mouthful. It's interesting to think about that verse. But the Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. This seems foolish to the world. But you think about it from the very beginning. This right here is what has changed the world. Uh, The preaching of the Word of God. Whether it's standing up in a church in a setting like this, whether it's sitting across the table from somebody drinking a cup of coffee, the Scriptures... That's the means. Too often, Christians, you know you ought to be a witness for Christ, but you're scared that you don't have the, the knowledge, or you don't have the eloquence, or you don't have this or that. Do you have the scriptures? It's all you need. That's the means. That's what you need is the Word of God. Share the Word of God. Plant the seed of God's Word. Uh, th- there are many methods that are incorporated to evangelize people. Some of the larger disagreements that arise between churches that are mostly of, of like-minded faith comes between uh, how uh, about methods. Now, generally, we're not to divide over the methods that we use. People use different methods to try to reach people with the gospel, different methods. So we're talking about means, but now we're talking about methods. He, he had a method. His method was to go to the, a key city. His method was to go to the synagogue. His method was then to go among the Gentiles and preach. There's many methods that are incorporated. Now, the important thing is, is that we don't divide over methodology, but we divide over the message. People may use different methods to evangelize, to get the gospel to people, to tell people the good news. And we don't, we don't squabble over those methods. At least I don't. Um, but there's some that do because if you, you know, there's some churches that you, if you don't do it exactly like we do it, and exactly like we've done it since the founding of the church in 1950, uh, then you're not doing it right. And I say that facetiously because there really are some, by golly, we've been doing it th- how long? 50 years. It's like, okay, uh, listen, that, that doesn't mean anything. And you know what's an interesting thing? You know, we were highlighting a missionary family tonight, the Shoemaker family. I tell you right now, they do their methods over there are a lot different from what we do here. But it's funny to me that the same person down the street over here that might be critical of the methods that we use aren't critical of the methods that they're using overseas uh, to reach the gospel. Just bear with me now. We don't divide over the methods necessarily that people use, uh, the methods, but we do divide over the message. In other words, the message is then determined by the motive. So what is the motive behind your methods? When you're trying, in other words, okay, my, my, my method is I'm trying to do something to, get, to, to, to gain an audience, to share something with. Now, you have the audience, now what do you share with them? Now, this is where we start getting a little bit picky. What are you sharing with them now that you have the audience? And the motivation is what uh, determines that. Uh, In other words, think about this. I've already said, number one, Paul's method was to go to a key and populated city to go to the synagogue. This often gave Paul a large audience. Okay. Now, you have an audience. What he does next depends on his motive. Now, is his motive okay I have gained an audience. That was the motive. That his methods led to him gaining an audience. Now, what is his motive? And does he look around and say, but, well, this is great. I've got a large group of people listening to me right now. And now if his motive is to try to maintain that large group of people, it's going to affect his message, isn't it? So if his motive is to say, well, you know what? This is great. I want as many uh, this, this is wonderful you know i 'm reaching a lot of people now, but what are you going to reach them with? because the means can change if your motive changes. so now instead of your motives being the scriptures, if my motive is to to try to keep a crowd, if that is my main motive, my message is going to change and instead of my means being the scripture, the, the word what thus saith the word of God. My means are now going to be a watered-down version of the scriptures, because I want to maintain this crowd. Now, may I say I want to maintain a crowd, and I want to get a crowd, and I want—I mean, I, I mean—I'm talking about just blowing it out, man. I mean, I mean, having six services a week. I mean, and 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 while we're having services here, having services in all three states right around here uh, simultaneously—that's what I want to see. That's my vision, that's my vision, but that's not my motive. My motive is to be true as a a New Testament church and as Christians, our motive is to stay true to the call and the great commission that Christ gave us. Preach the gospel, preach the word. So I've got a method that gets me the opportunity to speak to people. I've got this method. Now, I've got a motivation. What is that motivation? The gospel is the power of Christ unto salvation. My motive is to see them come to Christ. My motive is to stay true and just do what Jesus said and and, and preach the gospel, try to win them to Christ, and then after that, teach them to observe all things. That That is my motive. So therefore, my method may not matter as much, but if my motive is there, then my message is going to be right. What happens is, sometimes the message, and I'm telling you, the, the uh, pulpits take a back seat. And and it, it, you think about it. But, you know, I've had people say to me, Preacher, don't you know that we'd get more people here if A, B, and C? You know, if, if we did this method, that method, and this other method, don't you know that? And I was like, well, yeah. But the problem, and, and I'm not saying, I mean, I'm listen. Uh, I'm not saying that we ought not do stuff to try to get people here. That's what, kind of what we do. But. Whenever they're suggesting stuff, and I'm like, yeah, but the problem is, that's in violation of Scripture, whatever they may be suggesting, or at least compromising, I feel like compromising the Scripture. Therefore, I'm going to say, you know what? And now listen, they may say, hey, brother so-and-so's doing it over there. And you know what I might say? More power to them. And I hope they win a thousand souls to Christ in the process, and I can say that sincerely. But my conscience won't let me do that because I feel like that's uh, watering down the Scripture. My motive, my motive is not to try to keep, keep that big crowd. I want to do that. But my motive is to preach the Word of God, to, to share the Scriptures, to reason out of the Word of God. Uh, so that doesn't mean, again, uh, that doesn't mean that I don't want to have the largest possible ministry. That I don't want to... I'm not going to be one of these people. By golly, we'll know whether or not we're preaching the truth or not when there's just two of you sitting there. Then we'll know that we've done our job, you know. Uh, No, I I don't believe that, okay? Uh, I I believe that we can preach and see a crowd. I really do. I believe that we can do it right. But... The thing is, is the main motive is to, yeah, use methods to gain an audience, but then make sure that the message is the right message, delivered in the right spirit. Um, I want, uh, you know, I want this church to be the most inviting church, that, and I want people to be able to come here. And I want people to feel uh, welcome, as they do, thank you very much, uh, when they come here. Loved. I want to have the best uh, uh, hospitality. I want to have real social influence in the region. Uh, we incorporate different methods to accomplish this. But again, the mode of the objective is always right. I thought about this uh, today in the context of this. I, I, I just I started reading a marketing book yesterday. A marketing book. And you say, oh, so you're going to try to just turn into this marketing thing. And no, my, my, my methods aren't, my, my means aren't changing, amen? Because my, my motive's not changing. But at the same time, hey, what are some ways to get people's attention? What are some things that you can do? And you can say, oh, well, you're going down that. I'm not talking about violating the Word of God, but I'm just just talking about, hey, you know, what's what's wrong? You you know you can look up and see what some some of people's biggest church turnoffs are. Now, before you say, hold on there a second, Rick, uh, give me just a moment, all right? Uh, I am not talking about... uh, Listen, some people's biggest tur- uh, turnoffs, well, that preacher gets up there and preaches the Bible. Well, you're going to have to deal with that. That's a method that we're not changing because that's the means. But when they're just like, man, I come in and, and nobody ever even shook my hand. Uh, well, it's like, well, we can do something about that, can't we? You're trying to compromise to please the people. If that's what that is, I'm guilty. If people want you to- If people are just looking for something more friendly, I mean... You know, uh, things that, I mean, we don't have a sign right now. You know that? I'm going to measure and try to get a temporary vinyl sign to go in that little box right now. That's a big turnoff for people, just so you know. Now, are we compromising trying to get a sign put up? No, we're not. Amen? I mean, there's just these simple, so when I talk about that, but now I know that ultimately the, these methods are not what's going to make the difference because what happens is if your method, if your motive is to just to get people, 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 it's almost like your, your means turns into just methodology all the time. We got this many. What can we do to get this many more? And it's like everything you're doing is just geared toward getting numbers and getting people here. But you've always got to, what is the motive? The motive is to get them here, but the means is we share the Word of God because that's what's going to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, so uh, so, so the, the, the method, the, the motive. The, the the means is the scripture. That seems like a tough place to stop. <clears throat> but at the same time, I'll, I'll just give you this. And some of you were saying there's no way he's really stopping. And, and I really am really <laughs> about to stop. But I just want to I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I'm gonna tell you next time, okay? So we see the meeting place is the synagogue, and we learn something from that. We see the means is the scriptures. Uh, We see the message. The Bible says in the last part of verse 3, This Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ. He preaches the word of God. That was offensive. We see the message. Number 4, we see a move of God in verse number 4. We see a move of God. Um, And then we also see a move of Satan. And then lastly, we see the march of the church. The church goes on anyway. So the the good news is, is that in, in adventures in evangelism, he stays true to the word of God, people get saved, it's wonderful. And by the way, I, I tell you to be looking checking this out in terms of Bible study, maybe between here and next Wednesday. But uh just because the Bible says that Paul preached those specifies, Luke specified that he preached three Sabbaths there that doesn't mean he was only there for three weeks. And sometimes you can just you can read something and not read it. It tells us that he was there in the synagogue three weeks, but then when you read on, you find out that he consorted among the Gentiles and kind of took some time among the Gentiles. And so I challenge you to look into that if you'd like to uh, as well, and maybe we'll talk more about that. It's just a cool little Bible study point, but... Uh, you'll see that, uh, that Paul was more than likely there for several months at least. Um, but the devil fought. God brought the victory. He wrote the book of Thessalonians because he left here and went to... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't... Well, he left, went to Berea first. Went from Berea to Athens, then to Corinth. And then from Corinth, it's believed that that's where he sent a letter back. But there's another interesting thing here just to look ahead at from a Bible study standpoint. What happened with the whole thing with Jason? We didn't get to that part. But in the last part of uh, 7, 8, and 9, or yes, right in there, you read about Jason. And Jason was accused. Paul and Silas basically snuck out of town. And Jason seemed to have made an agreement with the authorities. Okay, look, we sent them out of town and we're not going to ever have them back again. That seems to be what went on there. But now Jason is one of the converts. Jason is one of the guys that was allowing the church to be in his house. I thought about that tonight with, you know, Brother Shoemaker saying, pray for wisdom for those churches in Burkina Faso that they had services right after being threatened and terrorists coming into the area killing people. But he said, pray for wisdom. Because did Jason do the right thing? Did Paul and Silas do the right thing by slipping out like they did? Uh, Should Jason have stood up for Paul and Silas? Should Paul and Silas have stood up Uh, for those of you that are into that kind of thing? But it's just interesting there. And there may not be a a direct answer, but I believe there's uh, some interesting things around that. All right, so we're just cutting her off right there in the middle tonight, But, but thinking tonight about adventures in evangelism. You say, what's that got to do with me? I'm not an evangelist. Listen, you either, somebody said it this way, you either are an evangelist or you need an evangelist. Did you know that? You either are a missionary or you need a missionary. So if you're not an evangelist, I'd love to tell you how to get saved tonight uh, so you can tell somebody else to get saved. Because Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you're a very good evangelist, and I'm not saying I am either, but if you're saved, you are an evangelist, but get, may God help us to be faithful in our evangelism, amen? It's an adventure and uh, something we can do for God. Satan's going to fight, God's going to give the victory, and uh, he's going to get the glory, Amen. All right, Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here tonight. I pray that you'll take the the lessons that we can learn just in the couple verses that we took the time to look at tonight, uh, Lord, and help us, God, to be willing to understand that the, the thing that's really going to make a difference is not impressing people with our knowledge. I was trying to encourage the evangelist here tonight. Everybody that's here that's saved is an evangelist. And I want to encourage them because, God, they often feel, we often feel inadequate We feel weak. We feel intimidated. But God, it's the gospel that's the power of God. It's the scriptures. So, Lord, help us to be faithful just to try to share the Scripture with somebody. We, we may not have all the answers, Lord, but we've got the Word of God. So just help us to be faithful to, at the very least, pray and ask, Lord, help me to be an evangelist this week. Help me to be a witness to somebody this week. Help me to take a connection card and just uh, invite somebody to church and, and encourage them to read the back with the gospel on it or whatever it may be, Lord. And so just bless and help and guide in that, Lord, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night.